Welcome to Florida In-Depth with the Tampa Bay Times, produced by the Department of Journalism and Digital Communication at the University of South Florida. Here is your host, Professor Elliot Weiser. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Florida In-Depth with the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, We've been looking at how the record hot weather has been affecting us and the surrounding environment. Uh, We're turning our attention to a really important topic that is both environmental and political, and that is beach erosion. To discuss this, let's welcome Jack Evans from the Tampa Bay Times. He has been on top of the beach erosion issue. Jack, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's good having you here. So, uh, you know, beach erosion occurs naturally, I believe, right? Sure. Uh, But let's begin by talking about the increased tropical activity and uh, and what effect that has on a beach erosion, and particularly Hurricane Idalia. Sure. So, not every storm is a perfect storm to cause beach erosion. We'll get in here to this in a minute, I believe, in how Idalia was particularly set up to cause a lot of erosion on Pinellas' coastline. Um, that being said, increased uh, temperatures, sea level rise, increased tropical activity, we're likely to see more hurricanes in general, just do the odds, and we're likely to see more storms that are going to have a heavy erosion impact. Um, even with a storm like Adalia that didn't really come close to making direct contact with us, we really got a glancing blow from it. Uh, if in, Anyone who's been out to the beaches since then or has seen photos of what the beaches look like since then, it's a pretty striking, striking thing to look yeah, at. Yeah, they're amazing pictures. The one that really struck me was Treasure Island Sunset Beach was, was dramatic. Let's talk about Adalia because it wasn't the worst storm we've seen, but as you said, it w- was the timing. And meteorologists for years have said the storm surge is really the most deadly thing. So let's talk about Idalia specifically, what it did to Pinellas beaches. Sure. So the thing with Idalia, part of this is the is the timing, as you mentioned. We're right at the end of what would be a normal renourishment cycle, and we'll get into what renourishment is here in a minute. But essentially, the process of pumping more sand on the beaches to restore them. Normally, that would be happening on Sand Key, which is the biggest sort of barrier island along Pinellas. Normally, that would be happening next year. Uh, A couple of other places where it would be happening this year, next year. Um, And because we're at the end of that cycle, the beaches are already pretty eroded just from sort of natural erosion, smaller storms, that kind of thing. So when you have this storm surge come up, creates uh, an opportunity for the waves to pound higher up on the beach that becomes even higher because you've got less beach than you might have in healthier times. Um, And so what we saw during Adalia was the storm surge coming up, waves pounding, not just on the beach, but on the dunes, wiping away decades worth of dune growth, uh, which is, of course, a a really important thing, both environmentally and infrastructurally. Um, And it was, you know, Based on the folks I've talked to, it was in many ways a perfect storm. The, the one kind of silver lining was that it was a fast-moving storm and that it didn't just sit out there in the Gulf and pound away at the beaches for longer, in which case this could have been even worse and we probably would have seen a lot more structural damage along the coast. And we should say, because this is Florida in depth, not just Tampa Bay in depth, Pasco, Hernando, Citrus, also same issue, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know... N- less dramatic in some spots simply because of how we've treated the beaches in Pinellas. Pinellas being kind of the, the beaches being the gym of tourism in Pinellas. Mm -hmm, Uh, We have this image of these broad, white, sandy beaches. Certainly there are other beaches farther up the coast on the North Sun Coast, um, but they're not the sort of like picturesque ones that you imagine when you think of Florida beaches. I hate to rank this, but which beach on Pinellas really got hurt the most, do you think? I think that would probably depend on what criteria you're using. Based on the reporting I've done, just being out there looking at photos and talking to to experts on this, 
you know, looking at a place like Passagrill, where you had these pretty wide, substantial dune fields grow up over the last 40 years, and seeing all of that wiped away in one storm, that's, it, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to look at. It's it's really dramatic, and it's uh, it's just sad to, to see that kind of reversal in 10 hours. Yeah, it's terrible. This may be a simple question, but why care about beach erosion if i don't live on the beach why should i care <laughs> it's it's not a simple question because beach erosion and the renourishment process touches a lot of ways of of life especially in a place like pinellas county in general beaches on barrier islands are really important because when they're healthy they're a buffer against storms you have a a wide broad healthy high beach you know, means the waves are hitting lower, lower on. You're going to get uh, less of an effect from storm surge during a big storm. Same thing with the dunes, very protective. Uh, so you've got that sort of infrastructural element of the beach. In a place like Pinellas, of course, they are hugely important to tourism. Uh, Pinellas's economy relies to an enormous degree on tourism. The beaches aren't the only tourist draw, but they essentially are why the other tourist draws are here. You know, most people who are coming to Pinellas for tourism, the beaches are what draw them. They might go to a raise game, go to the Dolly after. Um, but people are coming for beaches. So that's a huge portion of it as well. Um, and then, you know, you've got the the sort of recreational element, the, the sort of regional pride element. And then, of course, environmental things as well. The dunes in particular provide important nesting ground for loggerhead sea turtles, uh, for various species of endangered birds, that kind of thing. So let's talk about the government, whether it's local, <laughs> state, or federal. Uh, what are they going to do to ensure that the beaches stay healthy? Sure. So there's a process that's been going on for decades at this point. This is the beach renourishment. By the way, this is, I know this is a loaded question, so we're going to get into an interesting topic. It is. Yes. It is. Yeah. And, and it's um, it's one of those things that doesn't seem like much on the surface, and then you scratch it, and it becomes kind of a dramatic uh, intergovernmental battle. Um for, for decades now, uh, on a consistent basis since the early 1990s, um, the beaches along Pinellas County's coastline have been periodically renourished. Those cycles are shorter in some places, longer than, longer in others, but basically the idea is every few years to every decade, depending on where you are, the Army Corps of Engineers, federal agency, comes in, pump a lot of new sand onto the beach. They build what they call a berm, which is, is essentially rebuilding the sandy part of the beach that we like to go and hang out on. Um, and that process, in the eyes of the federal government, is a protective process. It's meant to restore the beach so that we have this kind of natural infrastructure that we talked about as protection from storms. In the eyes of the local government, it's that, but also it's the tourism thing, it's the ecological thing. Um, normally, that would be set to happen in a lot of places in Pinellas County, either late this year on Treasure Island, Long Key, which is where St. Pete Beach is, or on Sand Key, which is our biggest barrier island. Uh, it, it would be happening next year. That's when the cycles are supposed to happen. Uh, in the past decade, there have been some uh, policy changes, or I guess more precisely policy interpretation changes, that have really made this uh, an interesting governmental battle. I want to get into more of that, but let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Never miss the news that matters. The Tampa Bay Times has the Bay Area's largest newsroom and is your source for reliable reporting. With 14 Pulitzer Prizes recognizing its commitment to the community through high-quality journalism, The Times provides the news you need from the source you can trust. Find local stories, investigative reports, things to do, updates on Florida politics, and more. In print on Wednesdays and Sundays and 24-7 at TampaBay.com. Pursue the truth. 
If you work in the media, communications, or marketing industry, this message is for you. Take your career to the next level by getting your master's degree from one of the top journalism programs in the Southeast. The journalism department at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg, is offering a master's degree in digital journalism and design. And the best thing about it, you can do the entire program from home. This online curriculum can be completed in as little as one year. The program is professionally accredited and provides students with an informative and practical education taught by well-respected professionals and academics. The cost is reasonable. The experience is invaluable. For more information, please call 727-873-4881. That's 727-873-4881 or go to www.usf.edu slash journalism. And now back to Florida in depth with the Tampa Bay Times. Welcome back to Florida In-Depth with Tampa Bay Times. We're talking with Jack Evans, and we're talking about beach erosion. So before the break, we started to get into some of the political aspects of this, Jack. So um, why is renourishment being a big problem right now? What's going on? (laughs) Sure. So about a decade ago, the Army Corps of Engineers, the federal agency responsible for for doing this work uh, out at the beaches, changed their interpretation of some of their policy. Uh, For the couple of decades before that, they had performed this work um, with uh, what we would call construction easements where necessary. That means uh, for people who have property along the beachfront, some of that private property is within what's considered the project area. This has to do with the way that certain lines were drawn in the 1960s. That's a whole can of worms. Um, But during those times, you know, they would, the Army Corps would require the Corps to be able to access uh, those portions of the project area during the project. People would sign temporary easements, work would get done. About a decade ago, the Corps changed its interpretation of its own policy to say that actually we can't do renourishment unless we have 100% of easements in the entire project now, is area. Now, this just Florida or is this everywhere? This is everywhere. This okay. is a, this is a, a national okay. federal policy. Okay. Um, and that interpretation means it's and it's not just 100 percent of easements it's 100 percent of perpetual easements so what that means now is that the people who have property along the beachfront that has maybe three feet maybe 30 feet it varies place to place but a little bit of their land in the project area they now have to sign something that says i will provide perpetual public access to this portion of my land essentially making it public land um or at least that's how, how a lot of people read it. Uh, and as you can imagine, that has uh, stirred some negative feelings among a lot of property owners. It's been a real challenge to get people to provide those easements. Um, in, in Sand Key, the eight-and-a-half-mile stretch, that's the largest of these project areas. There are 461 easements that need to be secured, a little under half of those property owners have provided those easements, and this is going back uh, seven or eight years now at this point that they've been trying to secure those uh, so, so what? Any did the Army Corps of Engineers give any reason for changing it? Sure. So, uh, part of their reasoning is that federal law does not allow them to put sand on private beaches. Um, 
And I believe part of this has to do with some renourishment up north after Hurricane Sandy a decade or so ago, really stuff that doesn't actually have anything to do with Florida. But what they've decided is that they've learned that they cannot risk violating federal law by potentially putting by potentially doing work for for private landowners. Um, And they believe that for the work to be worth it. Not only do they have to be completely in the clear on making sure that they are only renourishing public spaces, but also that they are doing that in full. From a sort of an engineering perspective, they've decided that it is not worth it to do this work if there are gaps in it. So the people that aren't signing over the easements, what, what's their reasoning? Why won't they do it? Sure. So the... Most of the concern that you hear is people feeling like they're being asked to sign away some of the land that they own. Um, And what you hear commonly from people is stuff like, you know, I don't want someone coming to the beach and being allowed to set up their their chairs and their umbrella and stuff literally in my backyard. And and I want to be clear here because people get confused about this sometimes. We're not talking generally about public access to the beach because all of the beaches in Pinellas that get renourished, tons of beach access. A place like Indian Rocks Beach, for example, has beach access points open to the public on literally almost every cross street, if not every cross street. What we're talking about is people who are afraid that people will be cutting through their lawns, sitting on their patios, that kind of thing, and that they legally won't be able to do anything about it. Um, whether that concern is warranted or not, it kind of depends on how who you ask. Um, but kind of pressed on this a week or so ago, the Army Corps of Engineers did say, like, this language, as far as we interpret it, basically makes this land public. Mm. Um, and... You know, that's been a it's been a tough pill for property owners to swallow. And a lot of people simply will not sign the documents that the county and the the federal government want them to sign. So Pinellas County, what are they doing to try to mitigate this with the core? Sure. I mean, Pinellas County has tried a lot of stuff. Um, It has spent years kind of generally prodding the core to be more flexible with its policy. It's pointed to the core's own policy that says that the core's policy should be flexible um, in in situations that involve uh, economic or ecological livelihood. Um, The county has uh, developed a sort of a consortium of local officials that has gone to the White House and talked about this. Um, There's been pressure from uh, Florida lawmakers, uh, both on the the state level and uh, our folks in Congress as well, um, trying to put pressure on the Army Corps and the federal government here. and, and this goes back years, and, and the county has been asking the Corps for years to be softer with their policy on this, to go ahead and at least get some of this work done. Uh, the last renourishment cycle on Sand Key was in 2018, I believe. Um, and because the policy was relatively new then, the Corps did kind of bend then and said, we will do the areas where you guys have easements secured. And so they did some renourishment in 2018. Um, but they have really kind of dug their heels in since then and said, like, you know, we're not doing any more of this sort of partial renourishment. We need the whole project area if we're going to do it. So could the county, I'm sure it's expensive, but could the county pay for it themselves? (laughs) Sure. So the answer to that is yes. Uh, Whether they would want to is a little bit more complicated of a question. Um, Just in the past couple of days as we're recording this, there have been some developments, a new analysis uh, from the county has showed that it might actually be more feasible for the county to pay for renourishment itself than it originally thought possible. Uh, Back in June, July, when this issue first, or when this idea first came up of the county paying for it itself, it seemed 
possible but very risky. Um, you would be quickly blowing through the money that's set aside already for the county's portion of beach renourishment. It's important to note here that typically beach renourishment costs the federal government, when the Army Corps does it, covers about two-thirds of the cost. Uh, the county is responsible for the rest, typically gets some help from the state on that. Um, so it wasn't looking good. This new analysis shows that over the course of the next 40 years, it's actually more feasible than they originally thought. Uh, there would be times where the reserves and the capital project funds from the tourist taxes that are collected here in Pinellas County, which is what pays for this, would be getting pretty low. Other times where it would be very healthy, just kind of based on the renourishment cycle. Um, but it's looking possible. And that is based on what County Administrator Barry Burton called a very, very worst case scenario. Yeah, but the problem is though, that that pot that they would dip into, I mean, there are other people like Tropic, the new Ray Stadium. You have the Dolly Museum's got a proposal. You've got other things going on. Uh, Clearwater, the, the Phillies. I mean, there are a lot of people that want to get into that pot. So if you have to start paying for renourishment, what happens in that situation? Exactly. That's the the one of the real complicating factors here is the half cent bed tax. Uh, bed taxes are, are tourist taxes, taxes that people pay when they stay in local hotels. Um, that is set aside for renourishment would cover a lot of this if the county wanted to do it by itself over the next few decades, would not cover all of it. So they would have to be dipping into capital project funds from the rest of the tourist tax. Um, and depending on how much they needed, that could potentially jeopardize their ability to pay for other projects. So this latest analysis suggests that it might not, but it's one of those things where you don't really know until you get into it to a certain extent also. And so you've got, you know, this this negotiation with the Rays that's been going on for eight months now at this point, and we still don't have a public proposal on the table. Um, you've got the Phillies, who are very invested and excited in expanding their uh, spring training facilities up in Clearwater. Um, you've got uh, local cultural institutions, museums, for example, that are, uh, you know, when you see a large expansion at the Dolly, for example, that's usually funded at least in part with tourist tax money. Um, and, you know, uh, there's been talk about a, a youth sports complex being a potential thing that the county could pursue as a That's big a tourism toy draw. Town dump it's the, the Toy Town, uh, former landfill yeah. site, is a, a place where they have looked at it has enough space to do something yes. like that there. Obviously, you talk about uh, landfill remediation, and that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. But but there are a lot of a lot of places where the county is looking at spending quite a bit of, of tourist tax money in the next couple of decades, and it, it really complicates this picture. So, Jack, one more question. So could could the county sue the Corps? And try to solve it that way? <laughs> That's been proposed. Um, you know, uh, I believe a couple of county commissioners have, have raised that idea. Uh, potentially some other local officials have raised that idea. At this point, I don't see the county going down that route in an immediate way based on what I've heard. The county has recently brought in a consultant, a former high-level high Army Corps employee who worked at the Corps for decades. They believe that they can still work something out with the Corps. If not... It's the the impression that they're giving is that trying to pay for it themselves with potential state help, whatever else they can get, is the safer option. But the idea of a lawsuit has been raised. Uh, I don't know enough about the legal ease here to to say whether that would be successful or not, but it's possible. Well, Jack, we're going to be. Uh, I think we'll be following up on this issue because it's going to be around for quite a while. So I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. On the next episode of Florida In-Depth, we will wrap up our look at hot weather by discussing the impact it's having on the marine environment. Thank you for listening to Florida In-Depth with the Tampa Bay Times. 
podcast is produced by the Department of Journalism and Digital Communication at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg. Executive producers are Elliot Weiser and Carolyn Fox. Our director is Christopher Campbell. Producers are Michael Van Sickler, Jenna Duncan, Kelsey Foresta, Jordan Kalasian, and Alex Logue. Production assistant is Laura Hughes. And a special thank you to Mark Katchis at the Tampa Bay Times. And at USF St. Petersburg, thank you to Dr. Mark Walters and Dr. Casey Frechette. Until next time, I'm Elliot Weiser. <laughs>